0: You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. We have been doing, we started a couple weeks ago a series which we call Navigate, and it is about five books that are in the Old Testament that theologians, they categorize them as the poetic books. And they are really important because they focus particularly on our soul. What I mean by our soul, it is the part of us that thinks and reasons, the part of us that feels and emotes, And it's the part of us that chooses and decides. It's that whole processing of evaluating and feeling that that influence our choices and our decisions. And um, there are times when our soul can be pretty vulnerable. And uh, some of those are experiences we have. And the book of Psalms is about that. Some of them are choices we have. And really peer group choices. And the book of Proverbs is about that. The book of Ecclesiastes we're going to look at in a minute. It's about meaning. Uh, the book of Song of Solomon we'll look at next week is about love and romance and and sexuality and how that can manipulate us if we get that wrong. And the the last one, you know, Job is about tragedy when we go through really terribly trying things. And and what these books do, they they calibrate our soul to truth in a very unique, in a very powerful, in a very important way. And so I want to look at a look at a book, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the middle of the Bible, pretty much. The book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book about meaning. It's a book about purpose. The word meaning or meaningless is literally mentioned 40 times in its 12 chapters. Ecclesiastes is about meaning. Now, last week, um, my wife and I, I, I am a pastor of a church and always have pastored young people. I was a college minister for years, and then did young adult ministry at a large mega church in Atlanta before coming here and starting a church, and our church when we began was like really all college students, and so I have had the privilege of doing a lot of weddings, and I did a wedding last week, um, a guy named Benji and a girl Catherine, actually they met while volunteering here at our church, it's a shameless plug, but it's interesting, We uh, that really is what happened, and he was a... Uh, on uh, staff with one of the campus ministries here, and, and she's a great girl in grad school, and they met, and uh, they had a great wedding on Saturday, and I was privileged to be a part of it and to uh, officiate it, and I, I wasn't able to go on Friday to the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner, so when that's the case, I try to get to the wedding a lot earlier, like an hour and a half earlier, and I can do a wedding backwards, I've done a lot of them, but I just want the couple to feel like, okay, everything's going to go okay and so this wedding was in blairsville it was at a place called sugar boo farm sugar and uh before we <laughs> left uh, i plugged in sugar boo farm mm-hmm. on my gps my car and it said boom got it 86 miles we'll be there in about two hours i was like that's cool we, we had time a t-shirt some shorts on because you don't want to get all wrinkly before a wedding and i drove to uh Blairsville with sugar boo farms and the gps was perfect you know, went up 441, it got me off, it got me on the, the back roads, and we were winding through mountains. Went winding up one mountain, came down the mountain, wound up another mountain, came down the mountain, and perfect execution. And the last road was called Forest Service Road. The Sugar Boo Farm is right off Forest Service Road. And I just hit the road, and it said, half a mile to the left. We're cool. We drive half a mile to the left. And there's a field, and no road. And I got concerned because <laughs> it was literally the middle of nowhere, and I didn't know where I was. But I had time, and so I just thought, well, shoot, let's just keep driving. What do you do? So I just kept driving, and as I kept driving, my GPS kept saying, "Take a right, take a left," and we, we took one of these rides and I thought well maybe it's gotten and we went up I remember we went up this long bad looking road and you know with you know the limbs are hitting your window and it just didn't feel very good it was a steep hill and we, we got up we got to this clearing and there was this kind of a shack house and I had seen the show Ozark on Netflix and I just I thought okay I'm gonna get killed by meth dealer up here and this is going to be wonderful or worse and yeah the the movie deliverance was filmed up there for those of you and so you just have thoughts that go in your mind that you really don't want to think but you can't help but think and so you're you're just going and, and we were driving and we just you know i thought we could pull up to a house but then again they may shoot me you don't know who they are they don't know who you are and so you're just driving along here and the whole time the gps kept saying take a right take a left Every and I, I just it, it, it was a very discombobulated feeling it was a terrible feeling because I was so close to there so close to there, so close to where I really wanted to be where I was supposed to be but I was on the wrong path and as long as I was on the wrong path No matter how much I drove, no matter how hard I tried, I was not ever going to land there. And that was an incredibly frustrating feeling. And that's what the author here is going through. He is trying to get to there. And he should land at this point there. But he can't find it. And he's discombobulated and he's confused and he's looking back on his wife and he's explaining this and he's elaborating this to a to a young person. And so I want to look at this book, Ecclesiastes. The word Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word is Kohelet, the Greek word is Ecclesiastes. That's where we get the word Ecclesiastes from. And it simply it's translated in the in your Bible, probably mine, it's the teacher. But it was uh, literally means uh, somebody who assembles. Somebody who people assemble around to listen to. And it would be somewhat like we would understand a sage. And this is who... And, and the, the teacher here, if you read, is a guy named Solomon. Now, Solomon is a really, really interesting character in the Bible. He's an epic figure in the history of Israel. He was the son of David, and he took over David's kingdom from him, and I'm reading 1 Kings chapter 3 that when he took over, God told him, hey, you ask me for anything, ask me for any one thing, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, well, give me wisdom. And God said, that is the correct thing to ask for. And Solomon was very wise and remarkably successful he was the greatest ruler in the ancient near east he was brilliant he was an incredible statesman he was very enterprising very entrepreneurial he uh, was famous for his great architecture he was famous for the gardens he would design and their beauty he actually had running water coming into his palace and into his kingdom and plumbing and he was an incredible innovator He built a city called Palmyra that was a dust bowl out in the middle of the desert. He turned it into one of the greatest commercial uh, cities in the ancient Near East. He was an enterpriser. He was a great political leader, great political statesman. He was a brilliant guy. But... Eight chapters after 1 Kings chapter 3 when he asked for wisdom. Chapter 11 of 1 Kings tells us, but Solomon had many wives now when I think many wives I think more than one I would think back then four or five would be many wives Solomon had 700 wives that's a lot of wives to some people he had 700 wives and on top of that And this is probably even more (laughs) deviant. He had 300 concubines, which were like harem playthings. 300. 300 girls. And the Bible says his sexual appetite turned him away from God. Turned him away. And we read Solomon's life. At the end of his life, he was very narcissistic. He just wanted to build monuments that people would remember him by. And he got on these crazy building projects. He was taxing his people excessively and wearing them out with his need to be known. And uh, his kingdom, when he died, split. And there was a civil war. And, And people understand Solomon's sin really was the downfall of Israel as an empire. And so Solomon is this sort of looming figure. He built this... Israel into this incredible thing, and then he blew it all. And he's a—he's sort of like the only thing I could, you could compare him to um, in our world is he's sort of like Tony Stark, you know, the Iron Man guy, just brilliant and smart and wealthy and cool and just you know, kind of a partier and just you know, just wild. He was just this this guy. who's kind of like. Solomon was like a fourth Albert Einstein, a fourth Barack Obama, one fourth Bill Gates, and then one fourth Ric Flair. My favorite wrestler growing up. That was who, that's Solomon. He was all this wrapped up into one person. And so at the end of his life, Solomon. He's very reflective. He starts thinking about life. He starts thinking about what he had been through. And what he had done. And where he was really at. And and, and he was just obsessed with this possibility that there was no meaning in his life. That there was this place called there that he was supposed to have landed. And he didn't make it. It was haunting to him. And he writes here. And look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. Let's start there and we'll... Then jump to the end of the book, but here's how it he starts: the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless as the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, the King James Bible will use the word vanity. The Hebrew word for meaningless is called hovel. Hovel. You know what it means. Hevel means smoke. Here's what Solomon, this rich, enterprising guy with all his women, all his accomplishments, is saying. Everything in life, everything, 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 everything is smoke. What is what it is. Everything. Smoke. I hope alarms don't go off. <laughs> what is smoke? It was something that is now nothing. Something that is now nothing. That much smoke does bother me. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be cute and then <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I feel better now. I see it just dispersed before it hits the alarms. Everything is hell, everything is smoke. The wealthiest man that may have ever lived, relatively speaking enterpriser, an architect, an engineer, a playboy, brilliant guy, and a great academic. Everything is smoke. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in chapter 2, he describes himself. He talks about he was a son of a king. He was a great political leader. He solved problems. He was an enterpriser. He amassed wealth. He partied. He had great parties, drank great wine, got really wasted, and had fun dancing and, and you know did you know whatever. And he, he then he talked about all the women he had. The, the pleasures, the delight of he called it, the delight of the heart. I just what we dream about, I did. And he goes on and on about his education and his great learning. And he says, it is all heaven. It's all smoke. It is nothing that once was something. Now, if you read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, it's a really cool book. It's very interesting. There are some things that Solomon observed and learned. And let me i kind of give you a couple highlights if you look at it. And these are things I think are kind of cool to know. One, one of the things that Solomon is bothered by is how the, in the way he describes life, it's like there's this permanent, ceaseless stage. You know, day and night, every day sun comes up, sun goes down. You know, there's seasons. Every year there's a fall, winter, spring, summer. The oceans are going to come up. Tide's are going to come up this far, and then they're going to go back, and the mountains are going to stay there, and there's going to be growth, and then it's going to die, and then it's going to come back, and he just sees this sort of ceaseless stage, and we're on it, and we age and die. We go. We're gone, and it's like you're, in, it's like you're in a huge, a long, monotonous play, and you get to be a character. For a real quick scene and you're gone. That's all it is. In the play, you can't really figure out what it's about. It's, you don't know why you're in this play. It's just here and gone. And he, he gets disturbed by this. The transient nature of things. You know, something else he gets really bothered by. It shouldn't be. He gets bothered by the fact, and it's a famous thing, the, the race doesn't always go to the swift you know, and the prize to the smart, you know. But there's a lot of luck in life. One of the things you'll be amazed is sometimes you're gonna you're gonna meet somebody who's very successful and very wealthy, and you're gonna think, "How on earth did this happen to you? You're not smart. You don't work hard. You don't have a rich dad. How did you do?" And you just you're gonna have that it happens in churches. Sometimes you you just go and you think, "How did this church guy's church?" It, it's just what happened—just chance, luck. Some things go together, and it, it just it He gets kind of upset about that, like hey, it just shouldn't be that way. But some guys are just lucky, and timing is really important. And he goes through this whole thing about there's a season for everything, and he goes through, and then, and then he gets really. He really spends a lot of time talking about this dynamic that, that the human beings are always upset about, and is that the powerful oppress the weak. That's always happening. Just the powerful or oppressing the weak. And he thinks that's terrible. And then he goes, but when you do something about it, what happens is the liberator becomes just as oppressive as the oppressor was. And so... You just can't stop this from happening. Just whoever's in power is going to oppress weak people. They're going to use people. It's what people do. And he just was upset about that. And he just said, oh, the heck with it. You might as well just be a good, peaceful citizen and not get so upset about these things. And so he was upset about that. And then the, you know, the, um, the last thing that really bothered him was death. And it bothered him that we are human beings who are temporal and who are here for a little bit, but he said this one thing that we all have eternity in our hearts, that there's something more that we long for. There's something transient, something outside of this that we want to connect to, and it's bothersome. There's this eternity in my heart on this vain play. There is this... Quest and this want for real meaning and to do something that matters. And that was kind of how he described his life. And Solomon went on, you know, and he said, you know what? There's three things that are really make you happy in life. These are kind of good. Three things. You know what they are? He said, one, he said, if a guy can enjoy his wife, he's going to, that, that really makes you happy. If you have a good marriage, you're going to be really a happy person. So enjoy your wife. The second thing he realizes, is if you enjoy work, you know, if you have a job you like, that's terrific. Just to like your work, be into what you're doing, to actually be energized by your job is a great thing in life. You know. And the third thing he says is that, you know, discover the simple pleasures of life. Just. A good tasting meal, a nice breeze, the beauty of rain. I love it when it rains and the sun is shining. Anybody else? You know, just things like that. Just find things, simple things in life that are precious and enjoyable. And then he talks about three things. As an older person, he looks back on when he was young. And he said, I wish I had, these are three things I discovered that were counterintuitive. That I wish I had known in life. They're just, they were counterintuitive to me. And when I look back, I realize, gosh, they were true, but I wouldn't have thought they were true. And here's what they are. And they're good to know. One is, Solomon says, a funeral is better than a party. How many believe that? A funeral is better than a party. And he says the reason why is because funerals make you serious. And life is serious. And you, you need to be aware that your life and your existence is a serious thing. he says so funerals are better than parties. There's you know, something else he teaches. Pain is better than bliss he says, I wouldn't have known that when I was young, but now that I'm older and I look back, pain is better than bliss because pain is where you really change and you transform and you become better. It's in pain. I was listening to a sports talk radio show a few weeks ago and this guest was a guy named Rashad Jennings. He was a, running back for the New York Giants who uh, had a good NFL career. Post-NFL career, he was writing books and he was telling his story to this uh, the sports talk guy and it was fascinating to me about how he became a running back and what inspired him and what made him come out from a, an inner city situation to get a master's degree and, and to write books and all this. And he said, well, what happened? He said, when I was a young boy, I was overweight in middle school I was overweight, and I had bad, bad asthma. And it got so bad, it was really serious. I was in the hospital once for two weeks, and um, the doctor told me it, this kind of bad, bad asthma. And he said, What's contributing to this is your dad's a smoker, and it's his secondhand smoke. So he was like, Well, that's great. My dad will stop smoking, and, and I'll get better. And he, he went home, and after about a week, his dad started back smoking again his dad was a drinker and his dad was not a good husband and he was talking to his dad about it and said why do you keep smoking dad he goes rashad what do you want to be rashad thought he says you know i want to be an nfl running back and he had played Madden, but he had never played football he was overweight and he had asthma and his dad looked at him and said rashad you're never going to be an NFL running back. And if you—and the reason you're not going to be an NFL running back is because NFL running backs smoke, and they drink, and they chase women. And you don't do any of those, and you're never going to be an NFL running back. And he's dad lit up a cigarette, smoked it right there. As a 12-year-old boy, Rashad left that room and he said, I'm going to be an NFL running back. He went out and played football. It was awkward for him, but he learned. He got to shape, He lost weight. He worked and worked and worked. He got a college scholarship. He outworked everybody. He made good grades. He said he made three commitments in his life that were very important. He says, I'm never going to smoke. I'm never going to drink. And I'm only going to be with one lady in my life. I made that commitment. His pain from his dad was the catalyst to transforming his life. See, we don't buy into that today. If Rashad Jennings had been a suburban kid in an evangelical church, poor Rashad, his daddy wound, oh. Rashad, you need a safe place where you can go and watch Madden and dream about being a running back one day. And we hope you heal, Rashad. Solomon look back on his life and he said, You know, my pain was good. Pain is better than bliss. Anybody know the movie Star Trek? I grew up on Star Trek. When I was in college, I went to go see the movie Star Trek and there was this scene where. Dr. Spock had a brother. And he was a kind of a New Age faith healer. And Dr. Spock's brother would touch you and find out your place of pain, and he would take away your pain. And he went up to McCoy and touched him, and McCoy's pain from his, something with his dad, went away. And he was like, ah, he was great. And then he went up to his brother, Spock. You know, Spock? And he touched Spock. Spock let him touch him. And he found his point of pain. And it was rejected by his daddy. And he healed him of his pain. And then he went to Captain Kirk. And Captain Kirk said, no, no, no. You're not touching me. And he said this, I want my pain. I want my pain. I need it. It makes me who I am. Solomon is taking that to heart. He's saying, look, pain is better than bliss. Funeral is better than a party. The last thing he says is scarcity is better than plenty. Because when you're scarce, you you learn to be resourceful. And so Solomon is delving out a lot of great wisdom in this this book. So it's a really wonderful book to read. Then he gets to the end, chapter 12. Let me read this to you. I'm going to land this plane. Chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. And this is Solomon's closing advice. He's talking to a young person. And he says this. These three words, I think, are so powerful. Chapter 12, verse 1. First three words. Remember your Creator. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return to the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, strong men stoop, when the grinders cease... Because they are few. Grinders means it's teeth. You don't have that many teeth. And you just don't eat as much because you don't have teeth. Uh, and, and looking through th- windows grows down. Verse 4 When doors to the street are closed, the sound of grinding things, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. You can't hear the birds in the morning anymore. Your, your ears are bad. When people are afraid of heights, and the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, the almond tree is the first tree to go white. It's when your hair turns gray. Or in my case, the leaves fell off the tree, but it, it, it's just that kind of thing. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drives itself along. You know, a grasshopper just. You ever seen a grasshopper late? You just kind of. just doesn't have its spring anymore. It's just, you know, it's, it's just don't so have your. You're like an old grasshopper. Spring is gone. Desire is no longer stirred. Then people go to their eternal home. And mourners go to the streets. Remember Him once again. Before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher shattered, the spring, and the wheel is broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the Spirit turns to the God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. In New Year's Day 2003, I came here to Athens, I was living in Atlanta, and I watched Georgia basketball team beat Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was number one. We beat them very badly. We had a very good basketball team. I went home that night. Mark Rick's second year here. We played Florida State in the Sugar Bowl and beat the heck out of them. And I was having a very good night. And my dad had bought my kids a really cool basketball goal. And it was just a great, great goal. And I was like, it was 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock. I said, I felt great. I had this big garage. I actually had a TV in my garage. So I just talked out my cars, opened the box up, was watching whatever late bowl games were on, and just started working on assembling this basketball goal. At 8.30 in the morning, I was finished. 10, 11, I worked all through the night. It was like discombobulating. I would make, I'd get something right, then we'd get stuck, and I'd realize something I did four moves ago was wrong, so I had to undo everything. And, and I, just, I just stayed with it, though. And I stayed with it. And at the end, at 8.30, the basketball goal was done. Of course, the boys thanked me profusely and played all day, all the time. Of course, they didn't. But, but I did at least get my job done as a dad. I got that basketball goal done for them. But I remember having this distinct thought in my mind when I got done. I remember thinking, that took 11 hours. If I could start all over now and do it again, I could do it in two hours. I mean, it, I, I, can, I can do this now. Now that I've done it, if I could go back and do it again, it'd be a snap. It'd be a lot easier. When, when, when I had the same thought, when I got my dissertation, and many professors know this, when you do a dissertation, you think you're never going to get done. It's the hardest thing. When you get done, you go, I could do this in a fourth of the time now that I've done it once. And this is kind of what Solomon is doing here. He's saying, Look, I've done this. I'm looking back on it. I wasted a lot of time. I did not do this right. And so I'm going to tell you when you're young how to do it right. This is what I want you to know. And he says three words that started out Remember your Creator. Remember your Creator. You want to have a meaningful life? You want to do what you're here to do? Guess who knows that? The one who built you the way you are. The one who decided you would live in America. The who decided you'd be part of the 21st century. Someone who decided you had the gifts and the background and the height and the race and the attributes you have. That is who will get you to land somewhere. Remember your Creator, and the word "remember" is a powerful word. It's a covenant word. And in the Old Testament, when they would remember, the, the, the idea is like a wedding band. You know how a wedding band came about? Is guys would go, married guys would go work in the fields, and they'd be away from their wife for a few months working and harvesting, and she would put a band on his finger and say, "Remember who your wife is." When those girls come around there. You know, the prostitutes and things. They said, "Remember, remember, you're taken." Remember, uh, in, the, in the ancient days, they would put a covenant; they put a scar in their body to remember. And what what Solomon is saying is, "Man, I grew up around this stuff. My dad was taught me this. My mom taught me, and I did not remember. If I could do it again, I would. I would make a scar in my body." So I wouldn't forget my creator. And I do it when I'm young. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And he it winds down, Solomon goes to the background and this narrator of the book comes on. And in verse 9, he concludes this way. He says, not only was the teacher wise, he also imparted knowledge to people. He pondered and searched out and said in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats, they are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. One shepherd. He goes on here and he just says that the many words, verse 12, Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body? He's saying, look, listening to other voices that out the, dim the voice of the one shepherd, beware of that. Now, when all that, everything's been heard. Here's what he says in verse 13. Here's the conclusion. Fear God, and keep His commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Here's, here's what He says. When it's all said and done, remember your Creator is just this, fearing God, keeping His commandments. No matter who you are, it's the duty of every man. No matter what your background, no matter what you, how privileged or unprivileged, how smart or how not smart, smart, fearing God, keeping His commandments, that is your duty as a human being. Again, Solomon lived a very frustrating life despite having it all because he really didn't know what there really is. He was calibrated to lies, dazzling falsehoods. What is there for you? You know what it is? You know what there is? Let me ask you this. What What, what, what is your soul calibrated to? In your search and your desire to live a meaningful life, what is your soul calibrated to? Solomon here says calibrate it to the one shepherd. Is your soul calibrated to that one shepherd? If it's not, I want to encourage you to do some soul searching and earnestly do what this says. Calibrate your life to his voice remember your creator put a scar in your soul that you won't get away from and fulfill and experience the meaning of your life and it's going to be a very powerful thing that's very worthwhile thanks for listening to this podcast from classic city church We hope that together, we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.